0: discount. We'd love to see you there. This is absolutely something that we support, and we think that Awaken is a part of the growing church movement that we want to see moving forward. Once again, if you enter code absurdity at awakennc.com, you'll get a 10% discount off the initial price. Love to see you guys there.
1: Hey everyone, welcome back to Absurdity. This week I'm incredibly excited because we're talking about a topic I've been wanting to cover for a long time. But because Tony and I are men, we're not really the most qualified voices to speak on this issue and do it well and do it justice. So today we've brought on a really good friend of mine on a friend of ours on Anna Bennett. And I'm gonna let her tell you a bit about herself in a little bit, but um really excited about today's episode. So Tony, how are you doing, man?
0: What's up, beggar? I'm doing well. Um man, I have I'm starting this World Missions class now, and I got to be honest, it is the most boring thing. Um and I love I love world missions, don't get me wrong. Like I love not even the idea, just I love different cultures. I grew up in LA. I'm, you know, multi-ethnic, multicultural, but um the the dude who did this was a missionary. And he's a great guy. I'm sure he's a fantastic person, but just not a teacher, man. Like, I'm sure he was great at breaking down other cultures, but like, I, I'm just listening to him, and it's just like, rah, rah, rah. and then on top of that, it's the World Cup, so it's it's yeah, it's it's been um, it's been interesting trying to balance those things of finding interest and being like, yes, that is fascinating. That one time in Egypt, uh, you had a falafel and and like checking my phone or my my tablet i have to be so sneaky about it um in class i don't know i think i'll just i'll just put it on my computer next time i'll just put it on and be like whatever i don't care i'm paying for this class, or somebody's paying for this class can i just mention how wonderful it is to
1: watch the world cup without a dog in the race because um like i can just laugh at everyone else out of the depths of sorrow that i have in my heart that the u.s isn't playing uh,
0: that's I mean, I almost don't because my dad's, I mean, I'm part Argentinian. So there's, there's kind of that, but like, other than that, I like, I find other countries to root for. Like, I don't, I don't know, man. I get into it. Oh yeah. I'm like, I don't know. What is it? Serbia, Nigeria. All right. Let's go. Nigeria. <laughs> like I'm always just like, I find one team and I'm like that. I'm the ultimate bandwagoner and so, and I'm not a bandwagoner cause I'm on everybody's bandwagon. I'm just there. I'm like Dave from the joke. I'm just every, every team has Tony.
1: Gotcha. Yes, I understand. And Anna, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing great. Doing great. This week has been a really busy week. Uh, Lots going on, but I wish I had time to watch the World Cup. It's just not even on my radar.
1: I currently wish I was a morning person because all the games start at like 7 a.m. Eastern time and it's murder on my life right now. Uh, I just cannot get up that early. I tell my church members, all like, don't call me before 9 a.m. Because I'm not answering if you call me before 9 a.m. It's just not happening. It's it's zombie Becker time. Yes, exactly. Um, so, Anna, why don't you go ahead and tell us just a little bit about yourself?
2: Yeah, so I'm originally from Minnesota. We would say bandwagoner. <laughs>
1: All right. Well, we podcast never- is over. Thank you for coming on. <laughs> uh, clearly, we
0: were already disagreeing. We apologize
2: for everything. <laughs> this, is
0: sure terms. <laughs>
2: this is
0: not our view. I just want a disclaimer, this these are this is not the view of absurdity Podcast <laughs> or the entities are in.
2: Yes. Meg, Megan, Dragon, that's my favorite Ooh, talking about
0: How do you say garage? Garage. Oh see, because I had a friend who said grage. What? You had a friend, right? Yeah, not grage. not still have. You had. No, yeah, no. (laughs) That was when I walked away. I just dropped, I had an ice cream cone. I just dropped and walked away. I didn't even
2: care. (laughs) Ice cream drop. Yeah. No, I'm from Minnesota originally. I went to Union College, graduated from there with a degree in theology. um, Served in Minnesota for several years as an assistant pastor, um, specifically over youth ministry, did a lot with evangelism, and so on and so forth. And Took a call to come to Southern four years ago, almost five. Starting my fifth year here.
0: Wow,
1: that's awesome. I'm actually really upset because you came right as the tail end of me leaving, so I didn't actually get to do anything with you. Like as a student, I didn't get to like experience any of the wonderful things that you were doing on that campus. And I'm, would have been great. Would, would be have great. been awesome. But that's okay. Yeah. I am a big fan of those who come after me, and I'm really excited that those who come after me get to experience the wonder of having you as one of their chaplains. (laughs) Thank Uh, you. (laughs) So today we are talking about, if you couldn't guess it by the episode title, listeners, we are talking about sexism in the church. Um, Now, sexism is um, a broad topic. Please understand that. So today, as as we kind of jump into this, Uh, You might be super satisfied by what we talk about. You might feel like we only scratched the surface of what we're talking about. Either way, you're probably right. Um, This is such a a broad and expansive topic, and um, this is not, when we're talking about sexism, especially when uh, males have been the perpetrators of this, or or perpetuators of this for pretty much all of human history, uh, it doesn't really make sense for Tony and myself to talk about sexism on our own. Uh, So we wanted i wanted to wait until we got uh someone on here who could add some balance and perspective to this that just Tony and I don't have as much as we would love to have it we just don't have it on our own and even if we did I mean, we
0: can talk about it from the wrong
1: yeah exactly well
0: us. oh yeah i'm totally i've totally been sexist like that's but that's not where we want to go with it
1: yeah and we already know that tony
0: so it's
1: that's the other half of that so Anna, thank you for coming on and being willing to talk about this um i I am thrilled to have you be a part of this so let's just go ahead and jump right in uh Anna what has your experience been with sexism uh and we're gonna include this in we're gonna include this other half of this in this because it sort of all goes together within our specific conversation but also with racism
2: yeah um I'd say my experience has been pretty, um, I would say typical based on the stories that I've heard and the experiences that I have heard, have had other women share with me, women who have been in ministry at various levels, whether it's just, um, pastoral ministry and maybe mainstream ministry, but also, Um, Bible teachers and um, hospital chaplains, and so on and so forth. uh, There's a small network of us. So, just to give you a little bit of picture, and then I'll answer a little bit more clearly your question. Um, Within the Seventh day Adventist Church here in North America, in the North American Division, there's roughly 4,000 male pastors. And out of those, or sorry, 4,000. Of those 4,000, there's about 125 female pastors, women who are serving in ministry. So there's just a small segment of us, and because of that, it's been very easy (laughs) to hear other people's stories. So I wouldn't say that my story is um, out of the box, uncommon in any way. I think it's very typical, and if you asked other women, it would be pretty much along the same lines. I can share some brief examples of things, but I would say overall, um, most of my experience with sexism has been microaggressions, uh, the, subtle, um, the subtle things that happen or take place, and you may not even notice it at first. I didn't notice it a lot of it at first until it all began to pile up. Um, but I've also had things said to me, like, you're an abomination in our church. Our, you, you Hiring you was a mistake. Um, you're leading our church into heresy and blasphemy. Um, our church is going to be um, divided because you're serving as a part of ministry. Um, but then also just some of, like I said, those microaggressions, it's expected of me to, because I'm a woman, to come to the church early, to preach three sermons, and to bring a meal for potluck. Mm. But not many other males bring, male pastors bring something for potluck, their spouse does. Um, It's expected that I dress at the top tier of everything, even though I've got a great salary. (laughs) And um, I've had male counterparts come to the same kinds of meetings in sweatpants. And nothing is ever said. So, just some of those um, those aggression type of things, the small and subtle things that build up to really cause me to feel like, I really, do I really belong?
1: Mm. Yeah, no that make, that that makes sense. They're not. It, it doesn't. For a lot of them, um, it doesn't seem like it's stuff that's specifically targeted towards you, but because of the environment that's created um, by those things, it's actually negative. Um, the, one of the, one of the ways that, um, I've actually learned this recently in dealing with, um, this is just an example. I'm not comparing anything. This is just, you know, this is just an example. Um, but dealing with mentally ill people, um, who might be a, um, negative impact on your life, um, therapists and others have said, if someone is, is, is hurting you, if someone who's mentally ill is hurting you, it's malicious, even if the intent is not malicious, um, and and it's the same way. Just because we intend to do good does not necessarily justify any sort of action and it does not make what we're doing good in the first place. Um, yeah. Right.
0: Have you found, Anna, and I don't know if you can answer this, but have you found um, that most of that comes from my particular age or gender group or, you know, I mean, did, obviously it would make sense that white males would be, but ha, ha, do you also get it from other women or is it older, younger Have you sensed where you get the most microaggression coming from?
2: Yeah, I would say that um, it probably does. It's most noticeable from white males only because the majority, uh, from my perspective and from my experience of those that I've worked beside or worked within conferences or different settings, have been white males. That's just, uh, at least in the North American division, a large segment of that population. But I've also experienced from other women and from younger age groups and from just across the board. So, uh, yeah,
0: so we're all horrible, ok. all
2: right good <laughs> no, no,
0: have you have you found um because I know you're also married to you has has he had to deal with that at all? Because I know personally it it annoys me when. I, I often hear, oh, pastor's wives, and I go, um, you know, like I raise my hand, I go, it's spouses is the word that we use. Have Has he gotten that at all?
2: Um, starting to. It's probably different right now because I'm a, a chaplain, um, an For associate sure. chaplain, um, and he, we're not really connected to the conference. Um, we're hired by the, by the university, so it, it is very different from when I have served as a local church pastor. But he's, he's started to get a little bit more of that. We're just into our first year of marriage. And so people are finding out that he belongs with me and vice versa. (laughs) So um, he's gotten the whole shepherdess thing. He's gotten the mates in ministry, um, starting to get the spouse thing. But, you know, even, even then there's only, uh, I believe, don't quote me on this, but there's only six females in ministry here in the Georgia Cumberland conference. Um, specifically in pastoral ministry or, or um, campus chaplaincy. So there aren't very many male mates Mm. or spouses to even get together.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: Well, Anna, as we continue this conversation, I want to give you full license. Tony, you'll have to do this as well if you should so desire, but I'm pressure, I'm peer pressuring you into doing this. Anytime that we demonstrate some sort of microaggression in this conversation, unwittingly, call us on it when it happens. Um, if that happens, I don't know if it will. I have no idea. Like, right? Like, that's the thing. Most most people who who have a microaggression um, or who do who, who who you know perpetuate one or whatever, um, they don't realize they're doing it. So, if we have examples on this show, whether it's wording we use or whatever that you catch. Call us on it right here and now. I'm more than happy to do that. Or call me on it. I don't know, Tony, if you're okay with that, but I peer pressured you into it. I'm usually
0: not micro in my aggressions. I'm usually pretty strong.
1: <laughs> and, you're and pretty, yeah. it's clear when you're... I don't
0: coaching. like you. That's usually where I go. But yeah,
1: feel free. <laughs> feel free. Gotcha. And also okay, you
2: so know, let's... So yeah. quick, Ryan, is that... um. I will, I will gladly do that, of course, gently, because um, I love <laughs> both of you, but also I would say that it does take a lot of training and experience to even know when that takes place. I'm mm-hmm. still learning about that uh, because it's, this isn't talked about very often and it's just a societal norm. It's taken me quite a long time to even mm-hmm. understand what some of those microaggressions might be and to really sit back and reflect and say, Man, why do I feel this way? Nothing's yeah. really been done towards me, but upon sifting things through and maybe talking out with Ywain or, or other wise leaders, um, you you sift through the stuff and you see like, oh, this little thing and this little thing and this little thing, and they've amounted to something significant. So, um, I think that's part of this conversation is that not even every woman may be able to articulate this. I struggle to articulate this.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um and I and I understand that perspective for sure actually because I'm half Cuban and I've talked about this on a prior episode but yeah, you know, growing up a lot of people actually rejected the Cuban side of me because I don't speak Spanish and that always made me feel a little weird but I never understood why and I never understood to even phrase it the way I just phrased it. Um I would just hear people, "Oh, you're not really Cuban, you don't speak Spanish." And so, um it's interesting um to watch that happen or or to watch people trash talk Cubans in front of me thinking I'm just full-blooded white American. Which, for all intents and purposes, like, I am white. Assimilation. Like, uh, yeah. But it's um, it's just interesting uh, that, you know, I didn't realize it even up until a couple of years ago that that's exactly what was happening to me. Mm-hmm. So definitely we've understand actually, that.
0: We've actually talked a lot about microaggressions on this podcast, which is pretty cool, because I think that's the hot ticket item, I think, for our generation, is to learn how to stop doing that. We've, we've for the most part stopped the major aggression um it's still out there obviously uh pick up the news you can see it but for the most part we've we've stopped people from at least kind of having that um or at least it's out and we can recognize it's bad but now we're trying to you know really address the little subtle things i found those hurt more i know for me i can deal with someone who's an ignorant i you know i had a a a friend an acquaintance a a colleague who said something that was very ignorant and racist and uh to hispanics i'm hispanic and I found I dealt with that a lot easier because I'm like, oh, you're just stupid, you know. Like it was like you, you just if if you, if if I show you that you're incorrect, you know, there's it's not a malicious thing. But I found the little stuff it just builds up because you don't deal with it, you don't like compartmentalize it, you just kind of yeah. allow it to to hit you. Um, yeah. So we're we're really glad, you know, that you even brought that up because that's a big issue that I think we all need to learn from.
1: So let's keep. Let's, let's let's keep trucking on through here. Um, I guess this is something we always do. It's a practice that we always have, um, which is when we're talking about a big issue, we need to have an operating definition for it, what we're talking about, because someone else might hear sexism differently than we are talking about it. And so to make sure we're all on the same page, um, Anna, can you kind of help us figure out what is sexism on a practical level and in what ways have we misconstrued it?
2: Right. Um, I don't know that I have a really great answer for the second question, Um, but just in its basic pure form, uh, sexism is basically just the unfair treatment of people because of their sex. Um, So it may be the way that society is set up or the systems that are set up is um, in favor of a gender over another. And just very simply and basically in our, our society today, you see that our Structures and systems are very much in favor of the white male, um, and, and that can be difficult. But now there's also, just to include this in here as a sub-note, we're also in a time and setting in our culture that sexism is also beginning to include the oppression of intersexual people and transgender people. Uh, so this is not just a, uh, a woman's issue, kind of thing hmm. anymore. It probably yeah, wasn't ever. We've seen it.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's definitely um expanding in its definition, which is making people feel like, oh, well, this is just the latest offense that I have to keep track of. It it feels like trends that they don't, that they're just sick of trying to keep up with um because of how many people it's starting to include. And that's the I I think that's the wrong attitude. Um but I can understand to some extent too why Um, We feel sometimes uh, overwhelmed by the amount of things we have to keep in mind uh, as we as we talk with people. Um, So it's it's
0: funny because I often view it as like the Ten Commandments and the Mosaic Law. Like when you look at the Mosaic Law, there's all these little extremely, you know, uh, uh, deep details of, of intricacy and all these different things. And really, it's to to. All those things are just given to, you know, help actually understand and obey the first 10, which actually expand the, the you know, the original two that Jesus gave. And I feel like all this stuff is just don't be a jerk, how to not be a horrible person. And so all these people are like, you can't even say this anymore. It's like, no, no, you could never say it before. Um, we're just getting to the point where we're teaching you because apparently don't be a jerk was too broad and we have to expand yeah. on okay don't be a jerk to women don't be a jerk to other people who look different don't be a jerk to people who think differently like we have to be a little bit more detailed and so you know i, I will i find i get that the most it's, oh you can't even say this anymore now you can't say that anymore and I, and my response to that has always been when was that ever okay they just didn't call you on it. but i yeah, don't think right? calling like somebody when- uh, you know whatever like i don't think that was ever okay you know, I don't. You know, the the 1950s culture of, hey, darling, broad. You know what? Like that's no, no, not cool. I, uh, even then, yeah.
2: yeah, that's changed a I, lot.
1: I've I've been watching Mad Men for the last couple of weeks. Uh, that the John Ham show, 70s business or not even 60s. Sorry, 60s, 60s, uh, 60s, yeah, because it's Cuban Missile Crisis stuff, that kind of thing. So 60s, um, and like the treatment of women in that era, that show, like what that tries to capture. Like it's, it's like, I, like part of me doesn't want to watch this show because the way it devalues people. But then I'm like, this is also the environment that they're in and like they're reproducing a time period that that we no longer live under. Like, it's just insane to me the, the amount of
0: like, and that's the environment that most of the leaders of our nation and church grew up in. So it's like, yeah, it's still relevant to us today because you know, we're only one or at most two generations Removed from that, so yeah, like it still very much affects us.
1: So let's, Anna, let's let's target this a little bit more. I've asked you what your experience with with sexism has been, but now let's talk about it specifically now within the church. You've talked about a a few examples, um, but what are what are some of the more blatant, even more maybe systemic things that that affect you? Um, What are yeah, what are what's your experience been within the Seventh Day Adventist Church?
2: I think at its core, we operate a lot like a good old boys club, and um, we have not caught up with our own times, things that we have done ourselves, um, initiatives that we have as a Seventh-day Adventist Church in North America to hire more women um, and to put them in places that are accepting of women, because that's a whole other thing in addition, but we haven't caught up with... Um, that time to integrate women and um, the different needs that women have in ministry and even in higher education and pursuing, um, you know, specializing in ministry, as it were. Um, We haven't caught up with our vocabulary to be inclusive of women when they are inside of our institutions or organizations or churches. Um, And so just Overall, we've continued to function as though um, women are not in leadership or not in ministry positions, but they are.
1: Mm. Mm. Man, that is, I I see that like even in my own conference where I'm at. Um, And it's interesting because there's a lot of it or a lot of attitudes say like, we didn't mean for this to be the way it is, but okay, it still is. (laughs) like we you've still got to figure out what to do about it like that's and that's true there's it, it's been set up for um it's been a, in set up in such a way for the last you know century and a half that this is how we behave and this is how we act and this is how we do things and you know from the guy' side it's it's difficult I struggle with and and you you've you and I, I think I've talked about this before differently I struggle with um Women right now, and I see this as well with race. I used to do some work in marketing too. Uh, women in regards to ministry events are a quota, right? We need to at least have a woman in here. We need to at least have a black person in here and a Hispanic person. here. We got we to gotta meet our, our diversity quota. Yep. And um, for me, it's, it's, I found it uh, – you, you opened by saying there's 4,000 pastors in the NAD and people actively in ministry, and only 125 of them are women right? So the, the hard thing for me is if I don't want to treat women like a quota, right? Um, well, I only know like five of the, like, it's just easier and easier to think of a man or it's more accessible to think of a man. Like, it is is it it is difficult. And this is not justifying not doing it. I'm just saying, like, I guess, let me ask you personally, how can we do, how can I even do a better job of of thinking or, or what are the routes I can go to find those women that are actively in ministry? Because, um, it can be really difficult. Um, and it, it, it is something that we need to, it's a barrier we need to break through and I want to know how do we break through it?
2: Right. Well, I'll start by saying this, just zooming out again to the big picture, um, because of that reality in our church, um, and the difference between the the larger number of males uh, to females who are in ministry, that defines and then directs and guides everything that we do. So, um, the programs that we have in seminary, and how um, traditionally um, a, a male pastor may go to seminary after their undergraduate <clears throat> or after they've been in the field for just a little bit, or whatever that story right for women who are in ministry and for female pastors. Um, because of that reality, it's more likely that in our camp meetings and in our major programmings and in our summits or in our larger events, there may be one female speaker to the other 10 that speak, wow. um, the, the, just the trickle down effect all the way through. And so I think what we have then is the systemic problem that says for the 3000 students that I serve on our campus. Um, who are looking at our stage and seeing those speakers for Friday night Vespers or for Saturday morning church or whatever else, there's a very small representation of the women who are sitting in those seats, looking forward onto the stage. And so a question that becomes is, well, where again, where do I belong? Do I belong here? Is there a place for me? Has God put a specific call for ministry in my life? And if so, how do I pursue that? Because right now, what I'm seeing is so contrary to that. What I'm experiencing is so contrary to that. Or because of tradition and because this is the way that things have been, it seems like it's a much harder road for me than it might be some of my counterparts.
1: Mm, That's so it's this is this is actually the one thing i've never actually really been able to identify with i i and and i struggle to kind of understand it from that i can sympathize with it i can't empathize because i just don't get it um as a white dude like every movie every film everything has me in it so it's easy to see myself so to speak on the screen and one of the things that was so big about black panther um was that black people could see themselves as heroes and women in black panther uh yes. kicked butt like they rocked it yes. Um, and so it's, and they weren't overly sexualized or anything like that. Like they were amazing in what they did. Um, and, and how, just how, um, influential that has been. Like I cannot look back and directly tie any sort of influence to being able to see myself on a screen. It's just been my way of life, right? Like it's it's just the environment I grew in. Whereas this is being able to see yourself represented being able to see yourself in the characters on screen now is something that's huge. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine even more so for those who are considering a life calling, a life direction, um, all of that, and looking on a stage and seeing um, themselves represented. Like that's huge to me. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah.
2: I, go ahead. No, go, no, no, no. Go
0: ahead, Anna.
2: I was just going to say for, in my experience, I became involved in campus ministries at union college and through the course of that experience, I was exposed to a lot of exceptional women in ministry, all campus leaders and many uh, major, um, major women in pastoral ministry as well. And as a result of that, I believe God definitely used that to build up and to solidify and secure the calling that he placed in my life because I saw it. I was around it. I was experiencing it. I had someone like Dillis Brooks who laid hands on me and prayed over me and my ministry calling, um, that image will always stay in my mind. That Mm. experience has has kept me in moments where I've been walking through the valley and I've wondered, is this really for me? Can I really make it through these hurdles or these obstacles? And that those experiences have just helped shape and solidify my calling so much.
0: And you, you kind of brought this up in your answer, and I, I just want to explore it a little bit more. We're, we're talking about the lack of women in ministry, the lack of representation. How has this sexism outside of, or maybe expand on that more, but how has sexism negatively impacted our church and is continuing to do so?
2: Um, so I have a personal feeling based on an initiative we've taken in the North American division. Um, I I have heard about the initiative that says um, the North American division is going to offer funding and support for conferences who want to hire female pastors. And um, I think I'm not clear on all of this, but I think that there's a set aside amount of, of funding and whatnot for that position to be created And then funded for up to three years. And then I think it's assumed that the conference will fund it afterwards. So the initiative is to double the amount of women in ministry. This started three years ago, four years ago. So we're reaching kind of a deadline. And I don't know how many women have been added since the initiative was started. So forgive me for not knowing all of my facts. But... As someone who's in ministry, I hear that kind of initiative and I say, so what you're telling me is that we're going to provide funding to hire women in ministry, but for only three years. So there's no security for their families or there's no path for their career after three years. And in addition, we'll only be hiring women for those positions So women will not be hired based on their qualifications or their call to ministry or their education or anything else. They'll only be hired because they're a woman. I I don't want to be in that position. I want to be hired because this is where God has called me specifically to this location, to this particular role in ministry. I want to be hired because I'm the best of the best or the cream of the crop. Or whatever, I just be hired based
1: on my gender? Yeah. No, that's huge. Well, and it's and it's sad because it's also creating an environment where you have to prove yourself, right? Like you have three years to prove that this is your calling. I've never had to do that. That's ridiculous. And outside of that, it's now like outside of that, the, the, the path for ordination is that you have to be in ministry for you have to be leading a church for six years um well i mean it's different for if you go to yeah 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 like it's timeline it's typically about six years and then but they count seminary like the two years you're in seminary is they double that as they double that amount of time that kind of thing right that's a traditional route so even in the nad's funding they're still not really fully even like aside from all of the implications that that has that you've you and i've just listed um it also doesn't even really provide any sort of commentary or any sort of direction to push us forward in the ordination department, which granted, that's an entirely different, you know, that's, that's, yeah, that's way out there, but it's just interesting. I find, I see all these different lines that it has.
2: Right. And what you pointed out, uh, Ryan is another portion of the answer to Tony's question. Um, where do we see sexism and what are the results of it in our church? Um, from the time that I started in the theology program, uh, and I believe this is any, anywhere because I've heard it rampant from women in ministry. Um, we have to prove ourselves. Mm. Every step of the way in what we, how we dress, how we act, our language, um, being the best of the best, the top of our classes, either in undergraduate or in seminary. Um, you have to be, uh, you're, you you would be lucky to be considered the best preacher in the class of other males. Um, And then upon graduating, you just have to be at the top of your game. There is no room for negotiation, it has seemed. Um, So there's always this uh, attitude of you must prove yourself. And I think that's to a greater degree um, than some of our male counterparts, because I know that that still exists for both of you. Um, I just think that it's articulated differently, probably.
0: Well, it it didn't exist for me, I'll be honest. I was I was no. the worst. I, I specifically showed up to stuff late and yeah. I, I, did, I didn't I didn't want to be a pastor, so I, <laughs> I did everything in my power <laughs> to prove that like I'm not fit for this job and they're like, Here's a student graduation, go hire, like ah, oh, dang it. So yeah, I you, you mentioned like it's still there. I'm like ah. but granted I am hey. a white male PK, so like I'm well uh, yeah. like Okay, but the other the other side of this,
1: Tony, is you and I face a different kind of. With what she's saying, I identify with it a little bit. Only, I don't identify with it, and I want to make this clear because it's really easy for, for this to come across as I'm like, uh, demeaning it or devaluing what you're saying. That's not like, oh yeah, I totally understand. you are not the only. No, 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 no. Yeah, this is more of like this is an example I'm hoping will help people understand things a little bit differently. I experience the prove yourself aspect from my age. Um, The first sermon I preached in my church district, people came up to me and were like, hey, we're sorry. We thought we were going to be babysitting a college student all summer long or whatever. (laughs) We didn't realize we were getting a pastor. Sorry. Like, this is, like, that's that's a thing. Um, There's this, when I'm sitting in a room full of pastors who are all ordained and have been doing this for 20 years, like, there's this air of I have to prove myself. There are eyes on me to make sure I play the game right. I button all the right buttons. I Um, drink the right drinks or not, not. And at one point I just, here's the thing though. And this is, this is uh, on top of the fact that that, that prove yourself is not nearly as significant as yours. Um, the other difference is I decided just not to play the game and it hasn't affected me at all. Whereas if you decide not to play the game, your future is put in severe jeopardy. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I could get away with, with being, you know, not dressing the best, um, you know, not, not, being a hundred percent in on, you know, I'll, I'll go to a meeting and be like, "Nah, I don't really think we need this." I can say that because of you know my gender and and my race, and so, um, I recognize or my sex, I should say, and and my race, um, so I totally recognize that. Yeah, I, I've had friends, um, good friends, who who went to Southern, who were ran out of the theology program and ministry um, because of their sex and because they expressed, you know, that it wasn't even that they didn't tell the line. They did told the line. It was that they expressed any kind of, they, they weren't, um, you know, the, 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 if there was any dissident, if there was any dissidence, it was considered, oh, well, you're not eligible for, to be a pastor. Mm-hmm. You can't, you can't have any, you have to absolutely just do what we say. And any outside thought of that, anything like I pulled and they're out and that's not right.
2: Yeah. And I I would just add to this too, because I feel strongly about it. Um, What I experience is even more magnified by um, black women in ministry, by Hispanic women in ministry, by any other minority in ministry, because that just adds another level in addition.
0: Of course.
1: And it's even harder to tell at that point, like which one am I being discriminated, <laughs> like like which like layer is I, I'm being a, discriminated against. I here? know
0: quite a few pastors just because of the 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 circles that I'm in, and I can tell you, I I know of one Hispanic female pastor. That's it, and she's a big one, but I uh, that's it. I don't yeah, know of a single I, second one because that is just such a hard. Now they are, which they is are awesome so because
1: school. the I'm pretty sure the largest Adventist church in the world is pastored by a woman in China. Yes, yeah, their sanctuary is like oh, four China, stories by tall. the way.
0: Like, if we opened up China, I I'm pretty sure we would equal the amount of female pastors, or like the amount of female pastors there would equal the amount of pastors that we have, right. but we can't talk about it because they're you know underground. Which is it's just it's hilarious to me that we even have this debate. Because well, it's not hilarious, but in my head, I'm like we we act like they don't exist, but they do. We just don't. They're running of the it. church in yeah, the entire like, portion like the of the world. part of the world, and 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 according to some report, they've heard quite possibly the biggest section of Adventists in the world um, is, is primarily being run by women. But anyway, yeah,
2: yeah, it's still and an issue for us. That, I think that part of that also stems. Like, I'm not surprised, Tony, that you only know one Hispanic female pastor. Um, Because so many of us um, in starting out this pursuit of God's calling in our lives have been told, well, it'll be so much easier for you to just be a hospital chaplain. Or have you thought of education? Because you can do the same thing in education. You can teach a a Bible class. And respectfully, I disagree.
0: It's such a cop out. Disrespectfully,
1: I disagree.
2: (laughs) And in addition, (laughs) I think China's got it figured out because I, I don't know the, the numbers or the, the facts, but I would assume that if you took a look at their population, you would see that uh, there's probably a strong majority towards a gender. Um, I know that there is, in many of the churches that we are ministering in, that um, from, from one of the research studies I was looking at, um, Pew, Pew Forum, that there are more women in our churches and we're not seeing that represented in ministry leadership.
1: Yeah, nope, not at all. Yeah. I mean, I remember in high school, I'd be involved with ministry, like with a youth group, or, or you know, uh, even, uh, even like student association on campus. And I was often the only guy in the room, like when it came to leadership in high school and and college, or otherwise. Like we have women stepping up all over the place. We have girls stepping up, and it's a total girls' club at the high school level and at the college level. But then the second you outside of that all of a sudden it's flipped yeah but the numbers aren't flipped just the positions and it's just it's just very strange to me that that's um it's it's sad to me but okay so and i want to i want to ask you well tony do you want to say something before i ask this no no no
0: I, i i just it's sad because i think women bring a lot i think they have so much to add to the ministry and oh absolutely You know, I just, I, you know, I have my own personal opinions about what they bring, but like that's, I think that there's such a value in having them there, and I think we're missing out. That's that's just why. That's just, I just want to say that. I'll shut up now.
1: Well, like it, I don't mean this to be self righteous. Like, please, like it's really easy for I've taken moral stances on this show that are super easy to take. This is one of them, and I don't mean to take it because it's a righteous stance. Hitting
0: babies is wrong,
1: Anna. Separating, baby, separating babies is wrong. All right. Um, that's all I'll say about that, uh, given, given the topic of this episode. Right. Anna, it angers, it angers me that you are so handcuffed by this system because you are one of those women that I'm sure if you were in a church, if you were leading a church, you would do like 300% better than I would do. Like, like it really and I I don't mean that to be like self-righteous or like it just really like this angers me because I'm looking at friends and people that I know, colleagues and people that I know that will do an amazing job that I can so clearly see God's calling on their life. And it feels like there's nothing I can do about it. Right. So when you talk about women going to events and having to dress to the top, but men can walk in in sweats. okay. so then the question becomes, if I want to advocate for women in that environment then how should, should I dress to the top like the women and match with her? But then I'm just perpetuating the standards of we all have to be dressed up. Or do I dress dress down in protest and say we should all be able to do, dress however we want? Um, and then how is that seen? Because then you could just look across the room, having not talked to me, see me in sweats and go, well, that's not fair. Yeah. Um, so it's like, how do I walk this line where it's not virtue signaling, but and like outright virtue signaling, but it is something that is advocating for women in ministry Um, and and equality across the board? How can I do that effectively?
2: It's a great question. I will answer it right after I make this statement, which is, I believe we can do ministry better together, Ryan and Tony, that it's not an either or. Um, I I full-heartedly believe that with all of my heart. Um, Mm, And it's not just a a side, like cliche thing to say. It's not the graceful thing to say or gracious thing to say. Um, But I do believe that Because God created man and woman, there is also a purpose for man and woman to be involved in ministry, to be involved in leading ministry. Um, I think there is a loss without one or the other. And it's very difficult, I think, to figure out how to do that. Well, Hmm. I think, you know, we, we see the statistics for marriages dissolved and ending in divorce. And it's because it's a struggle to figure out how to do life together and to do it together well. And in the same way, I think it's really difficult for us to figure out how to do ministry together well as two unique genders and sexes. But I think that it will bring God the glory to be able to figure it out. And I think if we can get that figured out, what a message to share with our world because our world hasn't got it figured out and they're not going to get it figured out if they don't have Jesus. And we do. Yeah. So we should probably and, work on figuring it out.
0: And how sad would it be if they start to figure it out? Cause they're starting to, I mean, they're starting to figure it out faster than we are. And that, what message does that send? You know, that's, that's the, uh, that's the I do.
1: I do think our, our generation, I've, I've said this, in a different way. Our, our, generation of pastors is tasked with navigating the, the gender identity stuff, sexual identity kind of, I say stuff, not demeaning. I say stuff like all, just all of like that topic encompassing. Yeah. 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 Um, but I also think that our generation of pastors is the one that is going to, to, to set like marriage has been going on for deck for, for century, as long as, as long as humanity has been a thing really, whereas women and men working together in ministry in, on an equal level work, we're going to be the ones tasked with creating what that looks like. Um, I think that's the other half that we're going to be, have to figure out. Um, And I am really grateful that you, that you said that point, Anna. So thank you so much.
2: Yeah. So as far as advocating for women in ministry, I think one of the things is helping uh, shape language. I remember when I first started out in the ministry, I kept receiving emails from our conference office well intentioned, totally unintentional um but it it just started hello gentlemen la, la 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 thank you for your service and ministry. We'll see you at camp meeting whatever and it's not a big thing I don't take it personally, but for me to be the one to pipe up and say uh actually i'm I'm here too um ladies and gentlemen, I don't know, however you want to say it. Hello, pastors, that would be affirming. Um, Yeah. yeah, And I know we've spoken about this in in other um, senses as well, but for the minority to speak up and be the squeaky wheel becomes a very difficult task always. Um, So to have advocacy to say, oh, I received this email, but I see that that so-and-so's name, this this female in ministry that I also know from our conference is also listed in this email just to write back and and say, hey, in the future, let's make sure that our language is inclusive. It's a really small, simple example um, just to, to make sure that our language is inclusive of all of those who are in ministry. That's oh, one way.
0: I, 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 totally, I totally hear you on that. I, I agree with you 100%. Um, one of the coolest things for me to see, uh, I was at a conference meeting, um, and all the new pastors and young pastors were there, the interns and, um, our, one of our conference leaders, I have to be very careful, how I navigate this, one of our conference leaders stepped up and said, uh, okay guys. And literally it was crazy to watch because I immediately reacted and was like, girls, you know, and girls or, or something to that extent. Um, or, or he said like wives and, and, and we all, but it was crazy because he did this multiple times. He's an old school dude. Um, that's his whole thing. You know, everything eventually so is all old school. But every time he said that, like nobody fought him on the, you know, Evangelism is this way and that's all that way. But every time he said something like that, all the young pastors in the room, almost in one voice were like, and women spouses, like we were correcting him on that. I'm like, man, like that just gave me so much hope because I go, okay, they get it. Um, because we had multiple women in the room. And 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 so I'm not nailing my conference on that. I think they're doing an excellent job of of hiring uh women in ministry. However, I think that it, it was good for me to see that because you had both sides. And I've grown up, of course, you know, being Hispanic growing up in a pastor's home, I've seen the negative side of that to see multiple other pastors, not just agreeing with me but having that same reaction um we beat the women to it that to me was the, like what you were saying it's like hey we need to change this we need to we need to be able to do this and it's not going to happen if we just sit back um it's only going to happen if 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 everybody steps up and those who are quote unquote in power um begin to recognize that so yeah i'm i'm with you 100 i think it's awesome when when that does happen and to and to see that as rare as it is
2: I think the other thing that's super helpful to Ryan um, is is for counterparts to provide safe environments for each other, and one of those things being, can I give feedback, open and honest feedback? If I were in Tony's situation and I heard those comments, um, can I approach someone, maybe the individual himself, maybe a ministerial director, maybe another? Counterpart and say um, the language that I have heard hasn't been super inclusive. Um, can you just can you allow that individual to be aware of their blind spot? Because I don't think it's intentional. Most of the time I don't. Um, but if the blind spot is allowed to persist, then it becomes a bigger thing. And it does over time become an intentional thing that can be negotiated differently. So A safe, warming environment where someone might be able to to give feedback. In addition, I think the question that you ask is so great. How can I advocate for women? Um, I've been asked that by other pastors, and I would say that feeds the welcoming environment for other pastors to say, okay, I recognize that this is a blind spot for me, that Women in ministry hasn't always been a thing or a thing that has taken place in our conference or anywhere else it might be. So um, now that I'm aware of this blind spot, can you, either the woman I'm working with or the women who are working in my conference or whatever environment might be, can you personally give me some some tips, some pointers, some resources, some tools to be able um, to advocate for you and just even Even more simply, before advocacy, can I just be aware of the the things that I'm doing that may not be helpful in this process? Wow.
1: Wow. It's so good. See, like for me, for me, like Tony's example just now, where a pastor got up and said, Guys, like I grew up where guys is a completely gender neutral term. When I like, I've done youth ministry and I can think back to all these different times I, I've just said guys to get, over, get a control of a room full of youth. Um, like I would that's a, that would be a total blind spot for me because in my mind, guys is it's like saying dude. Um, which people have much stronger reactions to being called dude when it's not there. Like even girls have called me dude and I'm like, that, that's just
0: weird, right? Like, like dude
1: is a lot of people in LA, but, so
0: dude, dude yeah. is gender neutral.
1: But see that's the thing, but see, okay, so that we all come from this different context, we come together, and that's when the blind spot is exactly no for sure it's not a- bl- like the the difficult thing with blind spots is that they're not blind spots everywhere, they're blind spots uh either culturally or regionally, a lot of the time, not all the time but but a lot of the time, um and so it's hard, so i like I could totally I can picture myself even um even on Sabbath preaching and saying the word guys, like I can totally see myself doing it and needing to be intentional to stop myself from doing that. Um, Even things as simple as that, because language is huge. It is how we communicate. So language and the use of it is incredibly important.
2: Yeah. I think real quick, one of the things that can be really helpful in understanding how to advocate is to make some predeterminations based on the blind spots that I have either been made aware of or the blind spots that I'm searching out in my own life. Um, When I notice like you just described, Ryan, um, that I use this language and I I didn't know about it, but now I'm aware of it. What is your predetermination? What words will you use moving forward into the future? One of mine is, hey, fam, or hey, friends, or hey, colleagues, or hey, team, depending on what environment I might be in. And and knowing that those are my words, um, because otherwise I'm grappling and I'm in the same boat my usual language is probably going to be, hey, guys. And and Mm. what does that say of me? (laughs) I'm the one who's in this boat. So have a predetermination, something that you're going to use or some way that you are going to help shape an environment when you see something wrong. And that predetermination will kick in the moment you see it or hear it or feel it in the room, and it will help to a great extent.
1: Mm. Thank you for that. That's awesome. Um, I really appreciate it pretty Much every answer that you've just given, uh, I love it, I love it so much, and it's already I can see some concrete ways that I can do that. Good. Um, so really excited about that. Um, before I ask this next question, Tony, do you have anything you want to add? Anything you want to say here before I okay, great. He just shook his head, no. Um, no, so how do have no
2: one more thing for advocating for women?
1: Oh, okay, yeah, go for this it. This may
2: be a little bit more uh generic as well. Um, Actually, probably two things I would say one um, continue just to ask women who are in ministry about their story and how did they get yeah. into ministry yeah. because wherever you may be serving, if you're a pastor who's listening, you have women in your church who may be struggling to answer a call to ministry in their own lives, and if you have heard the process that another woman in ministry has gone through. Um, to accept and to pursue the calling in God's life, well, the number one, you'll, you'll have a much more broad perspective on how God calls us um, into his service. And to you you'll be able to help walk alongside uh, those who are coming in the generations uh, quickly behind us. And also, you'll have really great women for your Mother's Day sermons or for your Women's Day celebrations or whatever it may be. You may have another speaker to bring in to fill your pulpit when you don't have an associate pastor and you need to take vacation. Like this isn't all on one person. There's there's a network of people um, to be involved in. But secondly, also. um, We need to advocate specifically for maternity leave. And um, for toxic environments, um, not uh, to my knowledge, conferences have to set their policies on maternity leaves based on what the state sets their maternity leaves. I know of one conference who has a maternity leave of four weeks. what The state doesn't have a whole lot in place. I look at that now i I am married we have plans for the future, God willing. I'm not currently in that stage, but looking forward to that place in life and that, that, um, that moment in life, I think four weeks of maternity leave. Are you crazy? <laughs> like you can read up on biology. If you want to, that's all I'll say. And say that four weeks is not sufficient. It's not sufficient for a woman, um, to take time, uh, and to heal. So, <sighs> With that regard, like again, it's really hard to be the squeaky wheel. So we need well, and- administrators, we need workers to to advocate for full fledged maternity leaves, whatever that looks like. I know that um in the setting I'm currently in, we have, I believe it's 14 weeks. Just to show you the the cavern. Yeah. Well,
0: and it and it's so hard because most people don't realize taking a leave of absence, unless it's a sabbatical in the educational system, taking a leave of absence as a pastor is a very scary thing because you are not guaranteed a job back. Uh, Taking a leave of absence from a company. um, I think I can't remember the exact statistic, but it's like 85% of the time you get hired back and they'll understand as long as it's approved. If, If it's an approved leave of absence, they will hire you back. Um, that is not a guarantee. So for to ask women to be like, no, just take a loop of absence. Like, Oh, okay. Because of the, you know, the lack of jobs and I won't get into that, but like, that's ridiculous to, anyway. no, I I'm, I'm with you. And, and I just want to really affirm what you said before about asking people their story. Um, what I have seen, the majority of people who are, negative and dismissive towards women in ministry. I asked them if they've ever met someone in ministry and heard their story and 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 I can tell you I if it's not 100%, it's darn near close have not. Because when you actually hear how God has led them in their lives, I you know, I was on the fence. I wasn't necessarily against women in ministry, but I was like, um I, I you know, I don't see a problem with it, but I can understand biblically." Once I actually sat down and talked and met these these, you know, women in in not only ministry but training for ministry how god had called them to theology it was just so clear i mean their calling was just as clear as mine uh even more clear than dare i say some of the people who were in the theology program who happened to be male and i looked at them and just said god's not calling you to be a pastor he's clearly calling them and the sad thing was some of those guys got jobs and 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 uh the major, not the majority about half of the women in our program um either ended up not finishing theology or or going out and not um ended up leaving um so to me I, I just think that's huge it's it's anytime you go and talk to somebody and you get their story it's just a name somebody's just a name until you hear their story so it's easy to have these these uh diatribes and these angry theoretical it's a lot harder to look somebody's eyes and and after hearing their story, say, yeah, no, you're completely wrong. Like you've got a demon inside. No, because you can see God's leading. So, yeah, I, I just that was a really good point.
1: Well, I think we we too We we say, well, God called me based on my experience. We And then I hear your experience and I go, well, God didn't call you. It could be the exact same mirrored experience. And I'm like, oh, well, you're a woman. So there's no way that was true. Well, the more stories that I hear. Yeah i I'm using eyes if I'm someone else I'm already a big fan of women in ministry but the more stories I hear the harder that reality is to deny um and, and so that's huge like I've heard Justin Bieber's mom talk about how um all the steps that happened prior to Justin Bieber getting his initial recording contract up to the point of a a stranger stopping her on the street and saying after she left a a deal a meeting about a deal uh, or like shortly after whatever I don't remember exactly and the, the stranger was like Hey, I don't know who you are. I was just really impressed to tell you right now that you need to say yes to whatever's going on. Like if that happened to me, I'd be like, "Okay, God, all right." Like like but we discount it because it's Justin Bieber. There's no way God would call him into something like that where well, sometimes you I don't know what's going to happen with Justin Bieber. That's my point. Um and I don't want to discount someone's experience because of because of just whatever judgments or preconceived ideas I have of their gender, their name, their their identity, whatever it may be.
2: So, because of all that, I know you want to move on to another question, but just briefly, you're good. Um, because because this is this is still relatively new, which is a little mind boggling, but it's it's still new. We're still reshaping our language. We're still working on inclusivity. We're still working to create environments in our churches, in our conferences, in whatever setting. Um, we need places and people um, to be able to hear women out specifically when there's issues of toxic environments or uh, missteps or whatever. I think that's fair for everyone. And I think the church really needs to look at how we do HR and human resources. That's another topic, but we have to have places for women to be able to talk about uh, their experience, their negative experiences and what may be taking place in, uh, in their lives because otherwise, what I'm afraid of is that many women who actually do make it into ministry struggle with staying in ministry or find it really easy to leave ministry because mm. it it can become overwhelming. I know that within the first six months of being in ministry, I wanted to call it quits.
1: Mm.
0: And it's That's... it's so isolating. You know, one of the things we've talked about on this podcast is how isolating being a pastor is. I can only imagine because i I didn't connect in with the majority of the pastors in the area I was at, even the ones my age. I really only had one, and thank God he happened to be you know there. Um, so it was great to have someone to, to rely on. I can only imagine what it must be like to be a, not only to do that but to have a woman you know to 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 already feel disconnected because of just the, the sex difference and the way that women and men think um and and to have some nobody was actively against me being a pastor um in my area that I knew of i um, i was well I, yeah I was. but you weren't in my area um nobody was actively <laughs> against me nobody had negative feelings towards me i just disagreed with them i just didn't jive with them i was like oh you're you know old school or whatever or you have this and ah, i don't really see things that way to be a woman and to and to know that there's a percentage of people in this group that don't think I should be here. That's incredibly hard. So yeah, I, I, yeah, we need to have those environments and we need to be able to, to create that. I, one of the, one of the great things they're doing here at Andrews is called the Agora. Um, Good friend of mine, Garrison Hay started that up. I think we need to have that um, in an environment um, where I don't know how we do that. I mean, maybe it's like this, maybe it's a Google hangout, maybe it's whatever, but kind of like do a Ted talk, Um, an agora, you know, if you will, for women, um, and to just have that, just to be like, hey, look, um, we're going to have our conference administrators up here, say whatever needs to be said, bring it up, and it's going to be a safe place, this is not, we're not going to argue, we're not going to fight, we're just going to say it, and we're going to try to resolve, you know, these issues in a non-threatening, you know, it shouldn't have to go to HR kind of way. Um, or not, not HR necessarily, but you know what I mean? You know, like it shouldn't have to go to where I have to bring a report or something. We should be able to get ahead of that.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, what I loved about the Georgia Cumberland conference. And I, like I said, I'm not hired by them. Um, I'm hired by the university, but what I loved about what they did after the 2015, Uh, general conference session was to pull all of us women who were in the area together and to sit down with us and just ask us what our experience has been Mm -hmm. and to listen to us. And for many of the administrators in the room, it was the first time again that they had heard any experiences from women in ministry. And it was a powerful moment. I believe that it's propelled us forward. It's allowed um, our group of women um, to have funding and support and resources As we move forward, the conference invites us to get together as frequently as possible as women who are in the area um, to have lunch and to talk about the unique things that we experience and just to support one another, et cetera. So there's there's been a great support for that. And I know that exists elsewhere as well.
1: Hmm. Well, we are over, but I have a feeling this is definitely worth it. So we're going to keep going. We have just one more really big question that we want to talk about, so... Um, I, I just, I love this conversation. This has easily been one of my favorite conversations I've had on this podcast. So, um, Tony, no offense to you, but, um, she's better than, (laughs) uh, this is, this has just been wonderful. I've learned a lot and this has been, um, I'm, I'm really hoping our listeners do too. So I want to, I want to ask this last question, um, which is how can men and women work together, right? We've talked about creating that and the fact that it's important that we do. So what are some, practical things that we can do. Um, And some of this will overlap with advocating. That's okay. And we'll point that out. It's okay to be redundant on this, but how can we work together?
2: Yeah, I had to do my work, my research for this and really sit down and think about it because um, it's a profound question and I believe it deserves some intentionality behind it. Um, I believe that we can follow the methods of Jesus on this one. Go figure. Um, (laughs) I think that, Jesus from what, what I see in the scriptures um, Jesus represents women well in the parables that he parables that he told. he educates women he never shames women even when he could have I think specifically of the woman at the well or the woman caught woman caught in adultery. Um, he never shames them. He is all about grace and growing in grace. Um, he allows women to have positions of authority such as financiers and evangelists, and I've got resources for all this if you want. Um, And he spends so much of his time advocating for women. Um, I believe that that's so well imprinted in his disciples' lives, both those who are walking with him and those subsequently um, in early Christianity, uh, someone like Paul, who was able to say in Galatians Because we have faith in Jesus Christ, there is neither male nor female. We're all one. We do this thing together. Um, So if we're following Jesus' example, um, then I believe we need to represent women. And I kind of alluded to that before talking about getting women up onto our pulpits and our platforms and our stages and asking them to speak. And not just asking them to speak towards women's issues, um, but asking them to speak the gospel just mm. as simply as that, um, because women interact with the word of God just as uniquely as men do. And if we see both genders, all, all things in our congregations, we need to be able to hear another perspective on the word of God. I believe that's, important. Mm. um, I think we need to educate women and we need to take a look at how we're educating women. Another thing that I alluded to, um, I think that colleges and universities need to go after those young women, Ryan, that you talked about who are leading out in ministry and being a part of campus ministries and whatever in their high schools and in their academies. And we need to encourage them if they've got a call to ministry to pursue that in our colleges and in our universities. Mm. And I think that, after we've done that, we've got them through the door and we've got them here in our settings and we're supporting them uh, because there's such great support on our colleges and our, on our campuses. Uh, if you want to see something profound, come to a campus ministries convention. I just got to put that side note in there. <laughs> but um, after graduating with undergrad, I think we need to take a look at how we ask women to get an advanced degree, specifically the MDiv and um, my unique experience with that has been this consistent question, when are you going to get your advanced degree? When are you going to get your MDiv? I only have my bachelor's currently as it stands, and now I'm at this unique position and intersection in my life where I'm married. My husband owns his own business. It's taken six years to get a customer base for what he does and to pick up and move, and leave, and shut down a business, because it's not something that can be easily replicated in another place, um, isn't our first option. We'd be willing to do it if and when God called us to do it, but I think there needs to be other options, and people will say there are. That's one narrative, but the other narrative says, but it will always fall short of what your male counterparts are doing they're going to the seminary. They're getting their MDiv. And you always be held um, against that that platform. Yeah. So I feel as though even though there are options, they are lesser options. They'll never amount to what the MDiv amounts to or what the seminary experience amounts to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we need to come up with some other options.
1: I- even as a man, if you could do some of those other options, yes. like you're, you're, you're out of luck.
2: Um, and I would say, I don't know what those options are, but I would be easily and enthusiastically wanting to be a part of conversations and talk about what's what are some of those options, and what they could be in the future. Mm. Um, continuing Jesus's example for how we can work together. Um, we should never shame women. We should never shame people, period. Uh, I think going back to Tony's, thing earlier. Uh, As humans, I think we have found it easier to dehumanize rather than to celebrate humanity. And Mm. as Christians, we need to get that figured out. We need to get that figured out quick. And one piece of that um, is to not shame women and to specifically not shame women in ministry. Uh, The 2015 general conference session is something that would fall heavily into that category for me. I did not go, I did not watch online, I could not bring myself um, to enter into that arena because I felt this intuition that there would be such great shame and I was at a place I couldn't handle it. I don't know that I could handle it today even. And I know talking with women who were there and experienced it, it um, has shook them to their core still to this day.
1: Absolutely. So in the minor
2: things and in the major things, um, not to shame. I think we also need to work on having women in positions of authority. This isn't to say like, oh, let's round everyone together and move them on out. But um, very honestly, if you look at the youth directors at our conferences. If you look at administration in our churches and conferences, where are the women? Mm-hmm. Where is that perspective? Where is that unique experience?
1: Oh, you didn't know? Women are running children's ministry. What they are, you know, an extension of their God-given uh, calling to be mothers.
2: Yes. <laughs> no. and, and even
0: in those positions of authority, I think we need to make sure that we don't Uh, we're not we're we're, we're, we it's not disrespect there's a word that i'm looking for and i can't think of that word right now and it's creating dead space on the air which you're never supposed to do um you're fine it's uh we we don't want to be demeaning in those positions of authority um i find deaconesses to be extremely offensive to me um not because i'm like oh women in authority but because deacons are given specific jobs and rules of authority and then a deaconess your job is to make sure that's you know like it's it's lesser and people can say whatever they want it is a lesser position they are not given they're not given none of the deaconesses in my church and i went i pastor a traditional church they didn't have the keys to we had a treasurer who had keys and stuff but no deaconesses our deaconesses had to call our female treasurer but the deacons all had keys We had 20 something year old guys, which I was an advocate for, you know, bring youth, put them in positions of authority. They had it, but then our women weren't given that. Um, So I think even in those positions of authority, we need to make sure that we're not demeaning in those positions. This is not just, which is a personal pet peeve of mine. You know, we're not giving um, the perception of power without the actual, um, the actual uh, uh, ability to, to, do that so i yeah I, I think we need to be very careful even in giving those authority like oh okay sh- yeah she is the associate whatever no 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 no. this is a leader this is a right. person this is just as good as quote unquote any man um yeah. Yeah. who's doing that this the is this is the position is is the same the authority is the same
2: yeah i think for um for lead pastors, head pastors, senior pastors, any and all in that category. When you're working alongside a woman in ministry, it's another associate. that's so usually how things go. Um, you need to be there for all her baptisms. You need to be there when she's preaching. You need to be there. And it doesn't need to be over magnified or over dramatic or more than you would do for anyone else. But you need to celebrate her ministry from the platform just as much as you push your initiatives forward and, and and speak about the things that matter, you've got to do that with, with your associates in ministry.
1: Hmm. Love it. Love it. Absolutely love it. Um, Yeah, this is such a great conversation. And Anna, I I think you've just created the demand for you to start your own podcast. Um, So congratulations on the demand that now exists. Uh, Really excited for when that happens. Uh, Uh, no, this is, honestly, this has been a wonderful conversation. I've got some stuff I can take away um, from this and, and even actively apply now. You know, one of the things I haven't been doing is looking at, I just, everyone hates getting conference emails, so <laughs> no one really either reads them carefully or looks at that. And and that's something that I can do. Like, you've given me practical suggestions that I can do as a male in ministry. Um, And, and we want to, I want to clarify this for everyone. This is not about removing men from power. Yeah. This is about lifting every, this is about lifting the bar for everyone. Um, so we're not actively, and I love the way you put it, we're not trying to round up men and put them out, but we're actively trying to um, make sure that everyone has a seat at the table. Yes. Um, the last thing I would want to do, we we already had to do this for regional conferences where, where black people did not have a seat at the table, so they made their own. I don't want to have to see that happen for women too. Because um, those would be way and, more
0: successful, by the way.
1: They would, absolutely. yeah. yeah they it would They would, it would it, kick
0: the main... The main button.
1: <laughs> So out of uh, self-preservation and no out of um, but I I want to give everyone a seat at the table. Absolutely. Um, they absolutely deserve it. Um, and look like one of the ways that it's happened and that I perpetuated this is um, aside from our one of our episodes about the racism incident at Southern like you're the first female guest I've had on this podcast and we're 40. This is episode 42. Like that's ridiculous. Um, and that's because it's not because I haven't been looking. It's because I haven't been intentional period. Um, I've just kind of taken guesses they've wanted to come on and I can do a better job as a host. And as, as someone who's, as who's kind of navigating their way through this kind of medium, um, like I can see active ways that I can do this better. So just thank you personally, Anna, for this conversation, for your friendship and, and what you've done.
2: Absolutely. Um, Friend and, and co-laborers, like we're in this together. Since, since I've got a network, Like I don't want to speak on every topic (laughs) and I will gladly share the network resources. Just give me a call. Let's work with each other. Love it.
1: Um, Any final thoughts from the two of you on, on kind of what we've talked about or anything you want to leave people with
2: that as well. I think I want to leave people with this thought that I mentioned earlier. We have not only an opportunity, but I feel a responsibility to figure this out. I think there are places where this is working well, males and females in ministry working alongside of each other. And I think that there are places, I know that there are places where it's a struggle still. And it's not just a unique opportunity for our church. I think it's a responsibility for our church to get this figured out. And when we do what a message of grace and unity and spirit Um, that we will send to the world because I don't believe that this can be done out of our own sheer willpower or our ability um, to figure things out on our own. I think this is going to be a spirit led thing. It has to be a spirit drenched thing.
0: Mm. Love it. Tony, any final thoughts from you? Um, Not necessarily on the topic, but, you know, Anna and I have been friends for quite a few, quite a few years now. We actually met um, at a campus ministry event. And I remember because I was one of the only guys from Southern um, that just went around and actually met. I, that's not true. There were quite a few people, but um, you, you tend to stay with the people that you know. And so I intentionally wanted to go out and meet uh, campus ministry groups from other, other colleges. And, and um, it was cool as it was being hosted at Southern. So as the host, I kind of felt that way. And um, one of the cool things about the union group was it was just this incredible group. Of young people and of that group i just immediately felt drawn uh to anna as a minister i was like she gets it you know um and so i just want to leave people with the fact that i don't only support you anna but i am so glad and grateful for your ministry i believe god has called you to the position that where you're supposed to be at um so like ryan i left right before you came in but um i have a special place in my heart for campus ministry so i'm i was Beyond excited to know that you were there, um, and I'm excited to see where God's going to keep taking you on your journey, um, and and hopefully we can keep interacting and and uh, working together on that. Because you're right, um, you know, ultimately what we want to do as Christians is to spread not only God's love but also ultimately bring you know as Adventists His His second coming, um, and I think we're going to get the job done a lot faster if we utilize not only the best people, but every tool at our advantage. And I think, um, it's ridiculous to not have incredible ministers such as you. Um, uh, it's absurd to not have, I knew it was going to happen. Yes! I was trying so hard. I was trying so <laughs> hard. It's absurd uh, that we don't have uh, that, that we are intentionally not using incredible ministers like you. So I just want to affirm your ministry and, uh, and, uh, just know that our friendship, um, it's something that I really value and it's great to be able to not only have you on this podcast, but to have you, uh, as a colleague, as a, as a fellow worker,
2: thank um, you.
0: together. Well,
1: everyone, we've reached the end of our time. So thank you to our wonderful guest. My dog just busted my door down to tell me that she wants to go for a walk. So like, this is, uh, in every way, Design. shape and form, um, yeah, it's a sign. But thank you guys so much for listening to this. If you have any feedback for the show, you can email me Ryan one eight zero Becker at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at Ryan one eight zero Becker at Tony underscore a and A-N-O-B-I-L-E. Um, and Anna, if you are willing to, I'm not going to put you on the spot here to like put out any sort of contact info. But if you want, just let me know um, what contact info you want people to have, whether it's Twitter or whatever. We'll throw it down in the show notes. Um, if that's the case, and um, if you want to subscribe iTunes, please leave a review. I'm always I'm giving giveo- doing giveaways and things like that, so you can um, you can easily enter for those by just leaving a review on iTunes of this podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you want to support us financially, Patreon.com slash Absurdity Podcast, and you can find us online at theabsurdity.org. Thank you guys so much for listening, for being a part of this journey with us as we try and navigate some of these incredible absurdities that we're facing. Um, So appreciate you guys, and we will see you next. week. Today's episode of Absurdity is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. That produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology.